Hi, I'm Rick Ryman, host of Audibly Speaking, a show on the stories behind the stories of our time. By sounding out on these stories, we give voice to them and hear them for the first time. From the news of the day to history and literature, from audiobooks to leaders on the stump, we examine the backstories of our time, audibly speaking. I'd like to welcome to the program Dr. James M. Thompson, who holds a Ph.D. in philosophy from the Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, 2006. He served as lecturer and senior lecturer in social, political, and moral philosophy at Martin Luther University in Halle-Wittenberg from 2007 until 2015. He's also taught at the KU in Leuven, Belgium, and the University of Zurich in Switzerland. And he's the author of Wittgenstein on Phenomenology and Experience, an investigation of Wittgenstein's middle period, published in 2008 by the University of Bergen Press. Welcome to the program, Dr. Thompson. Oh, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. I had the pleasure of teaching at the Martin Luther University in 2007-2008, and I knew Dr. Thompson, or Jim, there, and so uh, I thought that it would be quite interesting to ask him, as an American who has spent a long time living and working in Europe, to comment on the situation today, the extraordinary situation today, in which there are very few Americans in Europe, unless they're working there, like Dr. Thompson is. I have some questions for Jim, and I'll start off by asking, how did you, as an American, find yourself in an academic appointment in Europe. I, I imagine you didn't think that you would be vaulting from, from Carbondale to uh, Germany, did you? Not long term. I did, when I was doing my PhD, I was encouraged by one of my professors to go over to the University of Wuppertal, which is in, in Western Germany, to, do, uh, to study phenomenology. And uh, I kind of expected that we would, you know, my wife and I would then, uh, who's German, by the way, um, that we would soon thereafter, we would just simply head to the United States because the, the, the market was simply better, even though it wasn't fantastic in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my wife ended up getting a, a job at the university in, in Halle, and I hadn't finished my PhD yet. So, of course, you know, I just went along. And a little bit of luck, a little bit of luck mixed with a, a, a kind of a skill set that not everyone had. And I was able to kind of get my foot in the door in several different departments. Um, and kind of the common factor was was the fact that, you know, dealt with a lot of the things I had studied in my PhD. Now, you were actually, you actually started in the American Studies Department there, didn't you? Um, almost. Uh, I actually started off in the Education Department, uh, which was technically, or what I was teaching and was the, uh, the, the philosophy education. That's where I got my foot in the door. And then I think about a semester later, um, then I started teaching in American British Studies. And then shortly thereafter, another semester, I was teaching in philosophy as well. Since you've been in Germany for all these years, you are in a somewhat unique position to describe if you've been received there differently over time. In other words, if someone met you for the first time 10 years ago, you might have been received one way, and perhaps because uh, the United States has gone through a a long and difficult trial, particularly under Donald Trump, you might be received differently now. Could you speak to this? 
Well, I think it's a little bit more complicated because you, I mean, in my experience, I've had very different experiences while living in the East. I, I lived in the Eastern part of Germany. So what was the, the GDR for 11, 12 years, something like that. Um, and I think in total, even though I, so I started off in, in Western Germany and I now live in Western Germany again, uh, or what is now the you know, Western Germany, that um, that's only been maybe a total of eight or nine years. Um, and Interestingly enough, it's been a very, overall, it's been a very positive reception in both places. But I think I actually encountered more prejudices. And I don't want to be careful with the term prejudice because you know, these are just simply experiences people had. But in the East, there was kind of a curiosity uh, about me. Um, and in the West, especially since I've you know been back in Frankfurt, especially in Frankfurt, they had a, the, the people living here have had a much longer engagement, you know, experience with uh, allied troops, uh, specifically Americans. Mm -hmm. And so these experiences have very much so colored the way in which they then perceive me or they engage with me. Um, you know, there's even some uh, certain term and terms that they use, like they call it Besatzer Musik, which is uh, occupier music would be the kind of the literal translation. I mean, they have a very specific relationship to American troops because you know the American troops were 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 everywhere. Um, you know, uh, they, right. they, they're largely gone now. They're still over in uh, near Gießen, which is maybe tw twenty miles from here. They're down south near Wiesbaden. Uh, another 20 miles away and then further down you know, in Rammstein. I, was, I think it was more positive overall in the East than it was here or you know, in, in the West. The other thing that's interesting about the East is just simply if you're not living in Berlin, you know, in, in some major city, um, you just don't hear other languages very often. You know, I used to, <laughs> if I heard English uh, and I wasn't within, you know, in the university, it was, you know, you, you'd turn your head around very, very quickly. Um, so I, didn't, I think there was a greater curiosity in the East than there, there has been in the West. But uh, would you agree that it's difficult, if not impossible, for an American to regard themselves as having a sense of community in that city, Hala, when there are two Halas from your standpoint, I would imagine, the university mm -hmm. and the place outside the university? Is that, is that a fair statement? I mean, very different worlds. Halle is a very, very old university uh, town or city, um, and after the fall of the wall and the reunification or reunification, um, you know, you you did have a kind of a massive purging of East German scholars, and so um, you know, a, a lot of, of Western scholars ended up getting jobs there. And so, in many regards, it literally is um, a, a very different world. Not just because it's intellectual, um, but but also because a lot of the people, not all, but a lot of the people working there, especially as professors, are actually from the West. Um, so, you know, in that regard, it's, it's very different, but I did have friends outside the university, clearly not as many as I do here, but, um, yeah, it, it, it was definitely a different world. And one was, but like I said, the people who, that I in, you know, encountered and, and, and interacted with who weren't academics, um, were generally speaking, very open, very welcoming people. There's a lot of Americans, uh, well, they're not over in Europe for very long and they interact on in a business capacity or as, as a consumer mm -hmm. or a customer. And so one wonders whether they're treated uh, hospitably because of the financial side of the relationship or 
because of uh, just Germans being welcoming. Yeah, I mean, just because you're just because you're engaging. I mean, you know, if, you, mm-hmm. if you're there for a short time, uh, you tend to be focused. If you're doing a Fulbright or something, then right. and you tend to be focused on getting your work done. And yes, you're engaging with the, the culture and the people to an extent, but you don't have those everyday experiences. Mm-hmm. Or you know, I was athletically, I was you know uh, engaged in the community and, and doing runs and doing um, uh, triathlons and things. And and there, you're going to meet a broad uh, spectrum of people. Um, and like I said, and, and again, it, it obviously helps a great deal if you speak the language. You don't have to speak the language perfectly, um, but mm. people want to engage you, you know, in German. Sure. And if they can do that, then, then they're more likely to do so. You know, that's, that's here. Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's probably universal in humanity to expect people to, yeah. uh, I mean. <laughs> if they are you know, from somewhere else, to adapt. I want to make one quick point, and that was that, um, but most Americans, I mean, I was very, very atypical in that even when I was in, in Wuppertal, so when I was the first two years, um, I, almost no one ever tried to practice English uh, with me. Um, I can only think of one time that it ever actually happened. Um, everyone was more than content uh, to, to engage in German, even though my German was pretty rudimentary at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas all the other Americans or Brits that I met while they you know, while in, in Bogota, it was, they had the opposite. They had a very hard time practicing German because everyone wanted to practice English. <laughs> well, let's talk a bit about the, uh, COVID-19 situation right now. The question is, since Americans are such a rarity right now, is there such a thing as German or European opinion about the desirability of this situation? Clearly, Europeans are undoubtedly in favor of the ban because of the health issue. Everybody can understand that Americans would be unwelcome since they pose a public health threat at the moment. My Mm -hmm. question is, uh, has this gone beyond that and uh, created a kind of point of view, perhaps, that maybe it's better not to have these Americans around? For reasons other than health, and or something like that, I, I'm not making any judgments. I just think that a lot right. of people over here have a genuine question about what the European opinion is about this this lack of Americans. And now, and again, I know that a lot of them uh, regret the loss of business from American tourism. But uh, I wondered if you had some further insights about that. Um, yeah, that's, it's, it's a pretty complex question because there, you can answer it in so many different ways. Right. I mean, clearly the, the economic impact, you know, the, the, the lack of tourism, mm-hmm. uh, or the tourist dollars is, is, is hurting and it's not, and this is not just Germany. This is clearly you know, hitting almost all European countries, especially Italy and Spain. Um, so in that regard, that, that definitely hurts. Um, there are also things that are tied up with that, uh, especially when it comes to the context of Germany, which is you know, the U.S. withdrawal of troops that's been announced. Um, that's also been met with uh, um, you know, positive and negative uh, um, voices. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of things are kind of converging at once. On the one hand, there's been disappointment that the Americans, there's almost like they've betrayed Europe. Um, by by not engaging um, in certain international affairs, by kind of mm-hmm. you know, with this withdrawal, 
um, it's also been welcomed. It's kind of seen as a chance to, I wouldn't say free themselves from this dependence upon America, um, but realizing that that would that could never be a long-term solution. Um, that yes, the partnership should go on for as long as as possible, <laughs> but this is really an opportunity to stand up on their own two feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've heard over the years constant uh, talk among Europeans that we have to have a more independent, more robust foreign policy. Uh, and maybe this time is the moment when we will do this. Over the years, it, that opportunity has passed the Europeans by, and they have maintained their, their uh, reliance and dependence on the U.S. in some respects. And so uh, this is a very natural and understandable turn on their part. And I guess if we can narrow the question down, we can narrow it to the whole problem with Donald Trump. Now, in the United States, Donald Trump is regarded by the majority of people who did not vote for him mm-hmm. as a kind of one-man chaos machine who will who will represents something that will disappear once Donald Trump disappears as president. But in Europe, I have the impression that there's a kind of resignation that Trump represents the real America, the majority America, and that even if Biden wins the election, it's going to be never like it was before Trump. Is that the way the Europeans are looking at it, that, that you know, they're, they're kind of done with America? America is never going to be the same. Well, I mean, this, this dovetails into a, a, the last question, because I, I, I want to make one more point, which was... Sure. Uh, you know, I talked about how this is, is complicated, and, and what makes this all the more complicated is simply the fact that while this is an opportunity for Europe um, to have its own robust uh, foreign policy, to stand up on its own two feet um, with you know a, a good partnership and friendship with the United States, um, they also realize when it comes to military that they they cannot alone, you know, the the EU cannot alone stand up to China or Russia. Um, and so there's, like I said, there's this weird sense of, on the one hand, this is our chance. And on the other hand, well, we can't completely cut ties with America because we actually need them in order to help, uh, uh, deal with China and Russia, especially when it comes to this, this increase in militarism. Um, but I, I personally have not had, uh, or I haven't heard from, from friends uh, of any country. I mean, you know, Frankfurt's a very, very diverse place, uh, so you're going to get opinions from people from, from all over the world. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have colleagues you know, from literally all over the world at the Max Planck Institute. Um, there is a sense of, on the one hand, this has been a fundamental breach in the relationship between the U.S. and, and Europe. At the same time, what I've the vibe I've been getting from people is simply that need to get Biden in there because you know it will turn back to business as usual. Of course, things will be a little bit different because they've realized that the United States is not as reliable as a, of a partner as they right. hoped and has been in the past. Mm-hmm. But they do um, seek uh, to restore a relationship that existed prior to Trump, you know, for the, the previous 60 plus years. So that's, I mean, that's what I've been uh, been told by people is they're just hoping 
not to say that they're for Biden, but they definitely think that another, um, uh, you know, having Trump in the office for another four years is just going to cause irreparable damage. Right now it's severe damage and they feel that it will become irreparable should right. he, you know, have another four years. Well, that's interesting um, because the uh, the people who are tuned into politics over here feel exactly the same way. So there is a commonality in views there. I think so. I mean, I, I might be off, but I, I do get, I, I do have a, a large, or I meet a large cross-section of the population, and I haven't heard too many people say, well, that's it. You know, we're washing our hands of the United oh. States. Um, uh, I, I, like I said, I just have not heard anyone actually say something along those lines, with the exception of, and this is an, an important point, um, and that is, um, I, maybe you heard about it, uh, it was just a couple of days ago when uh, the protest in Berlin where they kind of, they called it, they stormed the Reichstag, who are clearly supporting Trump, and they want to push uh, this divide, you know, the separation. These are the uh, people that are involved in the conspiracy theories or the so-called Reichsbürger. These are they're called Reichs, like, like a citizens would be the, the translation. Mm -hmm. They feel that that uh, that the uh, Bundesrepublik, the uh, yeah. the federal state of Germany, is actually not a legitimate state, um, and therefore, um, you know, they want to go back to some previous time. Uh, they don't accept, you know, Germany as a as a valid state, as a legitimate state. Right. They have their own passports, their own stamps, their own money. So there's a, a close tie-in between some of the movements in the United States and and in um, in Germany. Yeah, and it's a it's a rather bizarre coalition because it includes anti-vaxxers like uh, Robert F. Kennedy and mm -hmm. the, the QAnon people and the anti or the people who think that the virus is a hoax, as you said, and uh, then the far right. And that's that's an odd, bizarre coalition if there ever was one. And it's hard to see how, ever, how that could ever coalesce into something worrisome. Uh, might be more representative of a fever that's going on in uh, um, the Western world. I don't know. It's uh, that's, that's that's I guess the you know the the million dollar question is <laughs> is this just a flash in the pan or is this something uh, more right. significant? It's been gaining momentum. I mean that's what worries me. And I'm not. I don't. I agree with you. It, you have uh, uncommon bedfellows here. Uh, these are people mm -hmm. who do not necessarily agree with each other, and yet they're protesting side by side. I'm not worried about them forming some kind of political coalition that will then somehow take over you know, the German government or something. I'm more worried about domestic terrorism. And, and we've had a couple that happened in the past 18 months. You know, in, in Hada, the synagogue was attacked. Um, that was a right-wing uh, motivated attack. Um, there was the the assassination or the murder of the um, in Kassel, it's a city in northern Hessen here. Mm. Um, he was, the, I guess you call it the district president. He was murdered, and the, the suspect right. who has not yet been convicted, but um, it seems pretty clear-cut that he did it, um, you know, is also right-wing. And then just uh, about 30 miles from here, and um there was the shooting back in February of this year, uh, where I think it was 10 people were killed. Um, they were in a shisha bar. Another five or six were then uh, severely wounded. These are all right-wing extremist-motivated attacks. And I th there's the potential that this could increase, and that's what worries me the most. 
right. is that people are so dissatisfied right. and they that they go ahead and then they strike out in, in violent ways. And the, and the biggest problem I see, I don't see any willingness to debate, to engage in a conversation where one can share and exchange views and arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my, my greatest fear at the moment is that this will... Uh, this could erupt in in pockets of violence. And of course, the concerns are exactly the same in the United States. You have 17-year-olds carrying carrying assault rifles and killing protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kenosha, right? Yeah. When George W. Bush was president, the the mantra coming from Europe was was we we love Americans, but we hate American mm-hmm. foreign policy. Now, is that the, still the the case today, or is there a broader indictment of American society? I think there's there's another good point to make here, um, and that is, I think for the most part, that still stands, that holds, but mm-hmm. I think a few other things have um, kind of come to light, and that is, just generally speaking, um, the desirability of the United States, its, it's allure, um, has really suffered. Uh, it's, you know, the, the desire to go to the United States and maybe live there or to study there, um, it, you know, it's still very high, but it's, it doesn't, it's tarnished. The reputation right. has been tarnished. And things like COVID um, have also kind of unmasked uh, this, you know, the, the deficits, the tremendous deficits from the perspective of many, many countries around the world of the healthcare system in the United States. Oh, yeah. Um, to, you know, to the point where people just kind of shake their heads and think to themselves, what do you mean you don't have some form of universal health care? Um, right, right. And you know, when they see now the violence um, you know, on the part of the police uh, and they say to themselves, this, what, what is wrong there? This cannot be. I thought, you know, we knew maybe some racism existed, but not to this extent. And then you assume. So in that regard, that that image of the United States has definitely been tarnished and probably lastingly, just just because of the fact that these are deep seated problems, whether health care, you know, the economy or, you know, uh, racial injustice. Thank you again for uh, participating. I hope you found it a little bit interesting and enjoyable. I, I, I did enjoy it, actually. That's it for today's episode of AudiblySpeaking.com. This recording was made in October 2020, just ahead of the U.S. presidential election, as those of you who were listening carefully may have noticed. New podcast episodes appear on AudiblySpeaking.com approximately once every two weeks. Please subscribe to Audibly Speaking on iTunes or whatever podcast aggregator you enjoy. Until next time, this is Rick Ryman. Happy listening! Happy listening!